Well, hey everyone, my name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you today for our online service. I know Jorley mentioned this earlier, but I just wanted to personally invite you, if you live in Coquitlam or the Tri-Cities, the Lower Mainland, driving distance from one of our campuses, I wanna invite you to come out and to worship with us physically at one of our services. We are absolutely thrilled to be back at it. You know, all restrictions are lifted and there's just been such an incredible sense of joy and wonder as we've been able to regather together as the body of Christ, singing and learning, building friendships with one another. It really has been wonderful already and, and we would love for you to join us. So no need to sign up or register, just come on out Sunday mornings. And I guess depending when you're watching this on the weekend, there might even still be time for you to join us at a service this weekend. And so just go to church.ca to find out more. Okay, well, our teaching text for today is from John chapter five. So if you have a Bible handy, why don't you grab it and turn there right now, John chapter five, we're gonna start in verse one. And while you're doing that, I'll just say this summer, we're working through a series that we've called The Amazing Stories of Jesus, where we're looking at different encounters that Jesus has with ordinary people throughout the gospels in the New Testament. And, and today's no exception. We're gonna look at John chapter five, starting in verse one. And it's this beautiful story of a healing that takes place at a pool called Bethesda. And I don't wanna waste any time together. We got lots to cover in this incredible text. So let's read it together. It's also gonna be on the screens if you wanna look at it there. Here's what it says. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew he'd already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up and while I'm going another steps before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man who was uh, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, "It's the Sabbath, and so it's not lawful for you to take up your bed." But he answered them, "The man who healed me, that man said, "Take up your bed and walk." They asked him, "Who is this man who said to you, "Take up your bed and walk?" Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Let's pray together and then we'll unpack these verses together. Well, Jesus, we're just so thankful for this story, for this text. Thank you for your servant, John, who was able to remember, recall these stories and then write them down so we could experience it today. And so as we look at this, as we look at your healing power as seen at the pool of Bethesda, I pray that you would speak to us, illuminate the text to us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the story starts out with Jesus returning to Jerusalem for a feast. 
And we don't know what feast that was exactly, but feasts were a huge part of Jewish customs. You know, there was the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Shabbat, and on it goes. And, and there were certain times of the year where the people of God from all over Israel would journey back to Jerusalem to observe the Jewish holidays. And, and I think this is worth noting because especially in our day and age, so many people think about God, especially God as represented in the Old Testament, as a God who's all about rules and obligations and oppression, but that's not it at all. And, and if you look more closely at the biblical text, I think you'll see this good, good father who's caring for his children and, and who, who, loves, who loves them so deeply. And, and I love that in his law, part of God's command, and you can read more about it in Leviticus if you need some bedside reading, but God commands his people to party, to celebrate, to eat, to dance, to cultivate deep relationships, to build community around a table something many of us are craving as we've come out of this last season. So they gather together for these festivals and celebrations. And this wasn't some obligatory custom that the Jewish people would do begrudgingly, but they would eagerly prepare for these feasts, awaiting the parties and opportunities to be together and celebrate God and one another. And so, so Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem for a feast, a celebration. And then there's, there's multiple gates into the city. In the ancient world, and even today, Jerusalem's one of the very few gated cities in the world. And so there's different entrances into the city. This entrance that Jesus has chosen, this gate was a small one on the northeast corner of the city. It's called the Sheep Gate. And outside it was this pool called Bethesda where the sick, the lame, the paralyzed, many who were sick would sit in around the pool with hopes to be healed, that the healing water of this pool would restore their bodies back to health. So where does this idea come from, that the pool has healing powers? Well, it's really wrapped up in, in Greek mythology. The Greeks had created a cult around one of their gods named Asclepius, also known as the god of medicine or healing. I think they're gonna put a, a picture of him, a statue of him up on the screen. And during that period in time, the, the Hellenistic period, the Greeks built healing centers across the empire known as Asclepians. These were places of worship to Asclepius, and, and the sick, the disabled, they'd congregate and seek healing at one of these regional healing centers. In simple terms, the, the Greeks attributed the healing power of these natural springs to spirits. And so it was common practice for those who were sick to wait by the water, and they'd be praying and fasting, chanting, until Asclepius, or his helper, the serpent spirit, would cause the water to bubble up or ripple, and it was believed that this was the best time for the hearing, healing miracles to happen, when the bubbles or the ripples made their way from the spring to the pool. Now, most Bible scholars and historians believe that this pool called Bethesda used to be one of these Asclepians, tied to the Greek mythology and the worship of Asclepius. That's where Jesus finds himself in the opening of this text. And so John, the author, has, has he's sort of set this backdrop. Jesus is headed to a feast. There's this pool, Bethesda, sick, diseased people lying in around it. Some likely haven't bathed for months or years, especially if they're so sick that they can't even get into the pool. Many without families to care for them. Wounds open and rotting, clothes stained. A sense of hopelessness really resting over this assembly of people. And then the story zooms in on one particular person at the pool. In verse five, it says, one man was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. 
And it's easy just to, to breeze past this one and, 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 and on this side of history to look at it and to say, yeah, that's one of Jesus' miraculous healings. Yeah, there was a man at the pool, Jesus speaks and he's healed. And that's true on the one hand, but I wanna ask that you would step into the shoes of this invalid man with me and imagine a bit of what his story might have looked like. See, we don't know too much about this guy except what we read in this text, but we know he's been sick, he's been immobile for 38 years, and whether he fell out of a tree as a child or he had an accident working with tools around the family farm, maybe he fell off a horse. In any case, he's disabled to the point where he's unable to have any sense of movement or mobility. And it's hard growing up as a kid with disabilities, even in our day and age, but even more so 2,000 years ago when there was no wheelchairs, crutches, no modern medicine, no x-rays to really find out what's going on. 38 years. That's a long time, nearly four decades. Think of how long the last 16 months has felt as we've been waiting and waiting, first for a vaccine and then for restrictions to lift. And now multiply that 16 months that we've spent by 30 and you start to get a picture of what this guy is experiencing. And he's come to this pool, and, and I imagine that this is maybe his last resort. You know, maybe as a child, his parents took him to every type of medical expert they could. Maybe they even went to see witch doctors or magicians. And he ends up at this pool, and, and it appears he's been here for a long time. We don't know how long, but the text says that Jesus saw him lying there and knew he'd been there a long time. This wasn't his first day at the pool. And I imagine that week after week, he's there. And, and as the water begins to stir, he's down on his forearms, maybe sliding his body across the rock and the dirt, dragging his paralyzed legs. Maybe he's weak, he's barely eaten food, but even still the dead weight of his paralyzed bony body is slowing him down. And he's just trying to get in the pool just to find some relief. And allegedly he has no friends or family with him anymore. He's been abandoned here. And his only hope for any sort of life is to get into the pool, but he has no one to help him. And every time he gets close, someone steps in over him. Maybe the dirt of the ground gets kicked up in his face. And once again, he's left just hopelessly waiting for another slim chance that tomorrow might be the day where he actually makes it into the pool. Maybe hoping that someone would come and advocate for him, wishing maybe his brother would just come and carry him in, second guessing that if he did get in, that he'd even get healed in the first place. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now and, and, and you feel like you're somewhere in the middle of that 38 year stretch waiting for healing. Maybe you've tried everything. You've looked everywhere you know to look. You've done everything you know to do, but your relationship or your mental health or your physical health or work or financial situation or your family continues to be in shambles. And, and maybe like this man at the pool, you say, it's never me who finds the healing. I have no one to help me. And just when I think I'm getting close to breakthrough, someone steps over me or on me or kicks dirt in my face. And that's a hard place to be. And if that's where you find yourself today, stay with me because I think that Jesus has some beautiful things on display that are relevant to life in the here and now. As we continue walking through this story, I wanna zero in on four simple themes where, where I believe that this encounter with Jesus gives us just a glimpse into the person of who he is and the life he has on offer. So here's the four. I wanna look at the compassion of Jesus, the healing power of Jesus, the warning of Jesus, and then the hope that Jesus brings. Four things. I don't expect you to remember them right now, but let's look at them one by one. First, the, the compassion of Jesus. 
Here's the thing, uh, something interesting to note. You know, Jesus could have used any of the gates around the city when he was approaching Jerusalem. You know, going to the sheep gate was not a particularly convenient gate to choose. It was a small gate. And assuming he's on his way to the temple, the sheep gate took him first past this area with the sick and lame, and then next into the women's court, where, where again, the ancient world, back then, uh, women were unfortunately considered much lower class than men. Jesus could have chosen any other gate, and most of the Jewish men, especially rabbis, teachers of the law, would have absolutely avoided such a place. They would have chosen a more civilized gate, but he intentionally, in this story and all throughout the New Testament writings, he intentionally intersects his past with the outcast, with the sick, with the diseased. He breaks through all social barriers. Just even in, in the chapter before our text, the story of, of the woman at the well, if you know the story, Jesus goes to the well in the heat of the day and he intentionally engages this woman who's been rejected by her society. She's been married five times. She's been caught in adultery and he shows her mercy. He engages her. He shows her dignity and respect as an image bearer of God. He eats with tax collectors and on it goes. But I love that in this story, we see this beautiful picture of the compassion of Jesus. It's like he was pursuing this man. He went to where the man was, and, and when he got there, he didn't talk down to him or engage with him as though he was less than. See, many at the time would have assumed that, that this man was, was in his current situation because of a sin he'd committed, and so they would have treated him with contempt. He intentionally engages him. He seeks him out. He goes to where he is, and he approaches him in conversation. In a sense, he treats him like family. And this is a reoccurring theme, a primary characteristic of the life and ministry of Jesus. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrased John 1:14 in the message version of the Bible. It says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. There's this incarnational approach that Jesus takes. He comes as one of us, and, and I love that. We don't serve a God who's far off, who saw us in our sin and brokenness and pain and left us to figure it out, or not even a God who, who just helped us from a distance, but instead in the person of Jesus, he came. He got his hands dirty. He engaged in the mess of life. And we see this as Jesus intentionally goes to the pool of Bethesda. And as followers of Jesus, as followers of him, he calls us to do the same to engage in the pain of those around us, to bring the hope of glory to our neighborhoods and our cul-de-sacs and schools and workplaces, being willing to be inconvenienced, taking the small out-of-the-way sheep gate, so to speak, to show compassion of Jesus to anyone and everyone who will receive it. I've found that it is so easy to get desensitized to the needs around us. For example, you go downtown enough and walk along East Hastings, and at a certain point, you can become numb to the pain and the brokenness of the people you're walking past, forgetting that every single one of them has a story, that every single person is made in the image of God and is significantly important to him. This is one of the things I love so much about our church and that challenges me so much about being around you people here is that you deeply care for the poor and the sick and the hurting. And you don't only care deeply, but you actually do something about it. In the midst of the pandemic, hundreds of volunteers served for thousands of hours giving out food and, and, and all of this stuff to families in need. Thousands of dollars were given. And here's what I love. 
is that as time went on, the spirit of hospitality and care, it grew and it grew. And rather than just giving out a prepackaged, you know, pre-selected foods, Diane and the team and many of you created an online shopping experience where people in need could choose the foods they wanted, foods from different cultures that accommodated unique diets and preferences. This is so cool just in a simple way, showing the love and respect of Jesus, bringing dignity to ordinary people, showing compassion to every human, the love of Christ. That's the heart of Jesus, the heart of compassion. The second thing I wanna point out in this passage is the healing power of Jesus. The healing power is one of the incredible signs of the kingdom of God breaking into our physical world to the here and now. See, healing provides a glimpse into the new reality, a glimpse into the age to come where there will be no more sickness and no more disease. What a day that will be. And sometimes in God's sovereignty, that new reality is realized even now in this broken world. There's people in our congregation, I've seen it with my own eyes. People have have come up for prayer at the altar and been radically healed. Just last week, I was talking to a woman out in the parking lot at our Mariner campus, and and, uh, she said weeks prior, she received prayer for physical healing at one of our services, and the Lord miraculously healed her. It's amazing. That is God's grace towards us. That's a glimpse of the on earth as it is in heaven that Jesus prays about in the Lord's prayer. Michelle, Pastor Michelle, one of our pastors, just got back from Ethiopia and she has story after story of Jesus healing people. It's so cool to see God at work in that way. But I also realized that, that healing, especially physical healing, can be a really tricky one for some people especially in our cultural moment. And we don't have time to get into a whole theology of healing right now, but here's the thing. I am convinced that Jesus has the power to heal today. Evidence in the fact that he does do it. He absolutely does. And yet, we know that not everyone gets healed on this side of eternity. And I can't fully wrap my head around why some people get miraculously healed and other people don't. I guess maybe this is one of the things where we have to just say, you are God and and I am not. I mean, even right now as we speak, my mother-in-law is, is in the Royal Columbian Hospital with a ventilator breathing for her in an induced coma for, I think it's coming up on 65 days. And the future is not clear about what a recovery is gonna look like. And so we wait and we hope and we pray. And I'm convinced that Jesus has the power to restore bodies and muscles and lungs. And I know he's trustworthy and that he promises to work all things together for those who love him. But we live in this tension of what many Bible scholars call the middle of the now and not yet, where we see glimpses of the kingdom of God breaking in, glimpses of heaven on earth, but also we live in the middle of a broken world that's plagued with sin and disease and disaster. And we see that God is actively restoring and renewing this world, but we live in the tension Going back to our text, when when Jesus sees the invalid man lying by the pool, he knows he's been there for 38 years. What does he say? He says, do you want to be healed? When I first read this last week in preparation for the message, to be honest, it felt like it was a pretty insensitive question. I mean, of course he wants to be healed, Jesus. He's been disabled for 38 years. Not only that, but he's lying outside this so-called healing pool, trying day after day, week after week to get in to find healing. And, And Jesus has the audacity to ask if he wants to be healed. Like, why do you think I'm here? Of course I do. Uh, I've learned that there are certain questions that you just don't ask. 
For example, if you see a woman and you think she might be pregnant, don't ask. Just wait for her to tell you. And if she's pregnant, at some point, she's going to let you know that she's pregnant. Or, or maybe this is an obvious one, but, but if you see someone on the other side of the, uh, on the, side of the road um, with the hood of their car open, maybe it's smoking, don't go over to them and say, oh, is your car running okay? The answer is pretty clear. There's something wrong, or I wouldn't be stopped at the side of the road gazing into the inner parts of my vehicle. Or maybe this is just a personal pet peeve, but when I stub my toe or slip or I fall or literally run into a tree branch, that's what happened to my forehead here, if you're wondering why I have a scar on my head, I literally ran into a branch. But when I I find myself in these moments, I find it very irritating when people are like, are you okay? Are you okay? What happened? Very well-meaning, but I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm in a ton of pain right now. Just give me some space. But this question from Jesus was, was a legitimate one on many fronts. See, see, sociologists have noted that in the Middle East, and even in some places today, a man or a woman who is healed from a serious illness, they'd likely lose a good living as a beggar. Maybe you're like, beggar? Is that a good living? <laughs> well, no, maybe not. But think about it like this. It's not the same, but think about EI, for example, or, or someone's making minimum wage. In some ways, getting laid off and put on CRB can actually feel like a better situation than working. Maybe you experienced that during the pandemic. And so in the ancient world, for some who were paralyzed or crippled, they may have actually considered their situation to be preferable over needing to get a real job if they were healed, especially if they looked out and saw men and women out in the sun all day long carrying out some burdensome work. They'd know that if they were healed, their their life would take on a lot more responsibility. And so the question that Jesus is asking is a very relevant one. He says, do you want to be healed? And I think today he might be asking that question even to us. Do you want to be healed? Not necessarily a physical illness, although that might be the case for some, but in a spiritual sense, do you want to be healed? There's an interesting quote from a French philosopher named Pascal where he says, men often mistake the imagination for the heart and they believe they are converted as soon as they think of being converted. What does Pascal Pascal mean by this? Well, I think most simply put, he's saying that oftentimes we think of the idea of following Jesus as following Jesus. We think that because we were raised in a Christian home or because we somewhat resonate with Christian values that we are truly followers of him. And what Jesus has on offer looks so good from a distance. The burden is light, the exchange of sin for freedom. And it is, it's beautiful. It's the best decision we can make to follow Jesus. But yet, when we look at it more closely, there is a little bit more to the story. Because the reality is that there is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to Christian discipleship. There's this daily choice in the words of Jesus to take up your cross and follow him. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult to follow Jesus in the society where we live. And so maybe Jesus is saying to us today, you know, you say you want to go all in with God. You say you want freedom from addiction. You say you want relational healing with your family or your spouse. You say you want to work on your anger or your pride, or you want to stop doing the things you know are weighing you down or hurting the people around you. But do you really want to be healed? Because there is freedom There is healing for those who ask, but do you want it? Or do you kind of sort of like where you're at? Because it's kind of comfortable at the pool. It's not awesome, but it's familiar. I'm kind of getting a tan here along the edge of the pool. 
Jesus brings healing, but there, there is a response that's required from us. And so that leads to the third point, which is this warning of Jesus. So Jesus heals the man. It's, it's this beautiful moment where he, he says the words and immediately the man gets up. He takes up his bed and walks. And I can just imagine the joy in that moment after 38 years of waiting for healing. I imagine him in shock, yet, yet crazy admiration as he wiggles his toes, maybe does a leprechaun heel click. He runs, maybe wobbling a little bit as he's learning to use his limbs all over again. Then after the man is healed by Jesus, Jesus seems to disappear into the crowd. And the man doesn't even know the name of the person who healed him. They reconnect at the temple. And Jesus says these words in verse 14. He says, see you are well, so sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away, he told, told the people that it was Jesus who had healed him. But, but did you catch the, the warning from Jesus? He said, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, most scholars agree that Jesus is not saying that the man was sick because of his sin. So it's not like he's saying, you know, watch that you don't sin anymore, or you're going to go back laying down on that mat in no time. No, Jesus has healed him, not out of any work of his own, but out of an act of grace. But what Jesus is saying here is that although your body is healed, a body that's important yet temporary, the greater healing that needs to take place is in your heart, a healing from sin. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. I think this warning that Jesus is bringing here is like this. It's like he's saying to the man, you know how horrible it was to live this life in separation from people, lonely, lying there at the pool, broken, incapable, hopeless. You lived it for 38 years and it was a tragedy, but a worse tragedy than 38 years of physical pain and sorrow is an eternity of separation from God. Or maybe we could paraphrase this warning that Jesus gives by saying it like this. Today, your physical body was healed, but don't lose sight of the need you have for spiritual healing. I want to tell you a story about my uncle Nick. He, he was an amazing man. He passed away a few years ago now, but just an incredible guy, super funny, always full of life. He was so driven and hardworking, great businessman. In his younger years, you know, he's quite a partier. He lived life pretty hard. But when he was 40, he got quite sick. And the doctors didn't know exactly what was wrong, but, but he had all sorts of issues that were happening to his body. He was dizzy and off balance and extreme amounts of pain and discomfort. And he had years of rehabilitation and medical treatments. Uncle Nick was, was a Christian before he got sick, a cultural Christian. But he would tell you that, that before his illness, he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He was caught up in the pleasures of life, trying to find fulfillment in the empty promises that the world had on offer, success and wealth, prestige, status. And he would say that, that he, he never quite found what he was looking for all those years. But when he got sick, everything changed. He experienced this intimacy with Christ through those years of hardship. And people had to take care of him and he struggled with that, but he had this unshakable joy because although his body was in an incredibly rough shape, his soul was alive in Christ. He had met Jesus in his suffering and he would have these rich times of prayer and the scriptures would come alive to him like they never had before. And I remember just a few months before his, his body gave out and he passed away, he said to me over the phone one day, he, he said, Samuel, never let go of Jesus. That's what matters in life. I have peace, I have joy in my life because of him. And I wouldn't trade these circumstances whatsoever if it meant I'd lose this closeness with Jesus. 
sometimes Jesus heals our bodies and, and, and we continue to pray and ask and believe that he will. But so much more significant than the temporary healing of our bodies is the eternal healing of our souls. And that healing is on offer for all human beings, a free gift from God. And maybe my Uncle Nick's sickness was actually a gift, or, or maybe a better way to say it is it appears that God used the physical sickness in his life to draw him into a deep relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus that may have never come about if he hadn't gone through those trials. And although the last decade of his life was very difficult, in his words, he wouldn't trade it for the world because he found true hope and joy in Christ. And that's the last point. If you're taking notes, the hope that Jesus brings. This encounter with the man at the pool of Bethesda happened not long before Jesus would go to the cross, conquering sin and death once and for all. The man in our stories was, was looking for healing from the water at Bethesda. Little did he know that he was about to encounter the living water in Jesus himself, who didn't only have the power to heal his body, but to give true hope to his future and a security that even death wouldn't have the final word. There's this beautiful symbolism in the story, even to do with the gate that Jesus chose. Remember the sheep gate? Because scripture tells us that Jesus is the true lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Old Testament times, the Jews were commanded to, to sacrifice a lamb to atone for their sins, to become right with God by doing this. But in Jesus, the lamb of God, our sins are atoned for once and for all. And all that's required of us is that we accept him. That like the man at the pool who's healed at once or immediately gets up and walks, the miracle of salvation requires that at once we get up and we walk into the life that Jesus has on offer abandoning our old way and taking up a new way of life in him. And like the man likely did as he learned to walk on his new legs while stumbling and falling, we're gonna do the same. We're gonna stumble and fall along the way, but that's where we get caught in the grace of Jesus, who doesn't expect perfection, but who receives us as we are and leads us to a life that's full of hope and security in him. So I wanna pose that question from Jesus again. Do you want to be healed? What might you need to surrender to him in order to receive the healing that he brings? Because there is a cost to following Jesus, but the hope we receive when we truly found in him is unparalleled. Let me pray for you. Lord, we just thank you for uh, this text, these verses from the book of John and what they teach us about you and your character and your love for us. And so I just pray for each person who's encountering different challenges in their life, different storms, who find themselves metaphorically at the pool of Bethesda just looking for some healing. I pray that you would bring healing to relationships, to finances, to families, to bodies, to emotions. Restore us to the people you've made us to be. And we look with great hope to an eternal place where, where there'll be no more pain, no more sickness, and where we'll see you face to face. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.